Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. So just a heads up, I'm obviously congested this morning. Picked up my second cold of the school year. Part of the fun of working with high school students that come in with like, we had a kid walk in the other day, pale as a ghost, coughing, snotty, and I said, man, you look terrible. He's like, yeah, I have a fever of 102, yet he's in school. So and that's part of, the, part of the fun of teaching. But anyway, a little cold, feeling better this morning, so we're going to give the podcast a shot. But my voice is a little bit weak, and I'll probably be pausing here and there to cough, so we'll see how it goes. But I have a shorter one planned for today, but I think a good one. So rolling ahead, first thing I want to talk about is some comments that we got the last week's episode. There, a lot of folks contacted me either via YouTube messages on older videos or through email saying I didn't want to get into this in public, but admitting that they too were turned off by a lot of the jumping spider, velvet spider stuff that's out there. So I guess for those of us who are kind of like, yeah, it was getting to be a bit much, there's there's a lot of us out there. But again, I have to point out that a lot of the folks that see these videos and see those types of that type of content and eventually come over to tarantulas, a lot of them, it's good for the hobby. We're bringing new people in. But yes, the, the, apparently a lot of folks find that the fad aspect of it is a bit annoying. However, I got a comment from Mitch who said, I think it's a sign that the hobby has finally broke through to the mainstream to actually have fads. This just comes with the territory, unfortunately. The amount of cat and dog fads my wife, a veterinarian, deals with that are dangerous to the animals is ridiculous. So that's a really good point. If you're getting a fad, I'm telling you, years ago when I first started buying spiders and tarantulas, there were no tarantula fads. Granted, there was we didn't have TikTok, we didn't have Instagram, we didn't have I don't even think Facebook was around then. But now that we're these are crossing over and it's becoming more of a cool thing to do, that does mean that the I think in some ways the hobby is becoming a bit more mainstream, a bit less fringy. So that's a very, very, very good point. Daniel B mentions that he too was kind of turned off the exact same reason that I was and some other people in Charlotte was that uh, TikTok, Instagram posts with high pitched voices and silly captions about jumping spoods really turned me off to them. He was recently given an eighth instar Phidippus Regius by a friend who breeds them and initially didn't even want to accept it because of the connotation that now comes along with them. And then he writes, I'm glad I accepted it because it truly is an awesome spider. And I think that's like me with the velvet spider. I was turned off by the... I have a personality, I will freely admit it, where I don't like doing things because everybody else is doing them. And it's it's probably a character defect. So for example, if there's a movie out there that everybody's like, you have to see, I sometimes avoid it because I'm sick of hearing about it. Plus, I think my expectations are going to be too high for it. So I tend to shy away from it. I do have that kind of oppositional defiance when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I think for me, seeing all these people, like, it's so cute. It's so it, it was just nauseating after a while. So I just, it turned me off to them. But now that I have it, I love it. So it's kind of a shame because I think they are awesome. And I get why people are freaking out over them and why they're so excited about them. I just think, again, and it's funny, I'm going to mention something here that uh, I hope folks don't get mad at me, but I hate the term spoods. <laughs> like, I have people say, and I get it, and I get it's like, but as soon as somebody says that, it's just like, I cringe. I have the kids at school, Mr. How you spoods doing? And I just, every time, just kind of have to take a deep breath. I don't know what it is about it, but 
it just drives me nuts. But again, that's, I think, a generational thing. I'm an old fart. Let's call it as it is. I've been doing this stuff for a while. You know, I, I think I've got spiders. I My first spider I probably got before a lot of folks that listened to me were even born. So I get that's a me thing. But I, it's funny. He does mention the term spoods on here, and I kind of am the same way with it. I just don't know what it is about it. But I never say anything because it's like, all right, I get it. That's somebody that's excited about the animal. So in the grand scheme of things, who really cares? And finally, on Spotify, I got a comment from Brian C., who says, uh, there was a point at 39.25 of the last podcast for anybody who wants to listen, that I talked about that a lot of us try to not be that eccentric weirdo. We're trying to prove to people we're not an eccentric weirdo when it comes to spiders. And he writes, or you could just accept that given in the society in which we live, it's a compliment to be called crazy, weird, or eccentric. So I feel like I need to clarify because I went back and listened to the part and I get what he was saying. And let me just put out there, I make no bones about the fact that I'm a weirdo. I make fun of myself in the podcast all the time. You got to figure I'm a teacher. I work in a place where I get a lot of jokes from the folks, you know, my coworkers about, oh, how's your podcast going? How's your YouTube video going? Like they think it's weird. I, I'm into spiders. I'm a man child that collects action figures. I used to illustrate horror. I write, I mean, I do all these geeky things and I own it. I don't care what people think about me. I have been described by coworkers and others as eccentric before. And I do take it as a compliment. I think in the context of the comment I was making here, just to clarify, I think a lot of us are proud of the fact that we're a little bit weird and a little bit fringy. I just think when you're trying to educate somebody or make people, for example, with the spiders, have people listen to you and not think you're a weirdo is very important because if they think you're a weirdo, they kind of tune you out. He's a weird dude that plays with spiders. As soon as people hear me speak and I do it articulately and make fun of the fact that, yes, I understand this is a weird hobby. However, and I start explaining things, you can see when they key into it and they're like, oh, this guy's got good information. I want to listen to him. So I think what I was trying to convey there, Brian everybody should be free to be themselves. And I think a lot of us, again, take pride in the fact that we're not marching to the same beat as everybody else out there. I just think when you're trying to convince folks that spiders are fascinating and cool and shouldn't be squished, then it behooves you to not come across as a weirdo, if that makes any sense. Think about it. People out there, they're saying weird stuff and acting bizarre. Folks don't generally listen to it. If you can sit there and, and they get over the fact that like, wait a minute, this guy isn't weird. He's coming at this with a very intellectual, from a very intellectual angle and very reasonable and admitting that it's a weird thing. However, like that's usually what I do. Hey, I get it. I get that it's weird to have all the spiders. I There's never a point I'm not cognizant of that. But I try to get people to recognize I'm not some freak out there. I just find it's like any other animal. Like I will point to people like you love cats, you love dogs, you have your horses. Everybody's got different animals. Yes, tarantulas are animals. That's another thing you'll get from people. They're not animals. Yes, they are. And then I try to grab their attention again, stimulate that curiosity and try to get them to go all of a sudden, hey, you know what? They are kind of cool. I've had people that said, you know what? I found the spider and I looked it up online. Do you know they do this? That's what we're trying to latch on to. So I think that's what I meant, Brian. I don't care. Obviously, people are going to think I'm weird. I just don't want them to think I'm nuts, if that makes sense. Like, I want them to recognize that I'm not doing this to be weird and I'm not doing it to be eccentric. I'm doing it because I'm fascinated by them because there's a lot to be fascinated about. So I hope that explains it. So again, obviously, you can't do what I do and not kind of embrace the fact that you're a little strange. I mean, I'm, I'm a grown man who sits here and spends 
hours a week making videos and podcasts about spiders. That's weird. I own it. It's just when I try to entice people into the hobby, I have to try to, I don't say tone it down because I think I am reasonable when I speak, but I want them to look at me less like this guy's weird and more like, all right, this guy's got a weird hobby. Let me hear more about it. So hopefully that explains it. So today, what we are going to be talking about, as you've probably deduced from the title of this podcast, is slings that need to be kept on the drier side. And I've hesitated to do this one, except for the fact that I do think I have a good list here. What I kind of did was cross-reference my own experience. So are there probably other slings out there that I don't have in here? Yes. And there was a couple that I kind of left off because I, I'm on the fence with them. But what happens is, I think, is tarantula care, as far as I'm concerned, I've said this many, many times, and I'm hoping someday it, people understand to a point where people like me aren't needed. Tarantula care is honestly fairly easy, especially when compared to other exotic animals, reptiles, fish, whatever. We have it really easy. I've dabbled in keeping fish. I'm terrible at it. I am just no good. There's a lot when you're doing, like we tried a saltwater tank a while back. It was in, a nightmare. These are things, those are things I find to be very tricky. And I've spoken to folks that are in the tropical fish hobby that will point out, yeah, this is, this is something you've got to constantly monitor everything. Tarantulas, there's only so many ways to keep them. You have arboreal, fossorial, terrestrial, you have moist, you have dry. Yeah, for the most part, there's not too much as size of enclosures, but there's really not too much to worry about. We're not monitoring the chemicals in the, in the substrate. We're not having to monitor what's in the water. It's just, you kind of set them and forget them. Remember that old commercial? And and that's it, there's not a lot to it. And I, I've said this many, many times because I do. It drives me nuts when people try to overcomplicate the hobby because I think that ends up with more dead spires than anything. But that said, there are some caveats that trip folks up. And I think the problem is some folks, and this kind of alludes to last week's episode where we talked about the fact that people struggle with the research aspect of it. They want somebody to spoon feed them how to keep these guys. And I get it. I really, really do. I don't want this to be like I'm bashing folks that maybe aren't particularly great at ferreting out that good info. They want to find somebody they can trust and basically go, this is how this person kept it. This is how I'm going to keep it exactly like that. Done. No research needed. And I totally understand that. But however, it doesn't always work that way. There are species that kind of don't fit those nice little molds. And that's where good research is needed. And so, for example, one of the spiders that trips a lot of people up, and I just received an email this week about him, Omothymus velocipes, the Singapore blue, very popular spider, big, beautiful, bold, arboreal species, so to speak. However, I can't tell you how many people email me and say, hey, I just picked up a sling or a juvenile and the thing buried, it's not up on the the wood that I put in for it, what's wrong with this thing? There's nothing wrong with it. This is a species that starts off, I would say, almost fossorial. Like, I've had ones dig deep burrows. They line them with silk, just like a fossorial tarantula, and they live in the ground when they start off. My big old female, to the day she passed away, was one that would bury and burrow herself. I put in a cork bark round so that she could hide in. I filled it with a bunch of sphagnum moss so she could make it nice and cozy. What did she do? She went all the way down to the bottom, dug about four inches into the substrate, curled under, and had a burrow so that when I shined a flashlight down that thing, you couldn't see her. She continued to do that her entire life. So that's a species that you read a boreal and you think, oh, I'm going to stick it in. I got a sling. I'm going to stick it in a 32-ounce deli cup with an inch of substrate and a cork bark leaned up at a corner, a little plant or whatever. It's going to be fine. And then you're shocked when the thing tries to dig underneath it. 
Somopius. All the time I get people, I got a Somopius species. I don't get it. I set it up and it's burying itself. And usually I, I will give folks a heads up. And this one always kind of cracks me up. When folks come up and say, I've listened to all your podcasts, I've watched all your videos, and then they say, I don't understand why my Somopia species is burrowing, I'll give you a hint. That's a telltale sign you haven't been listening to my stuff because every time I do a Somopia video, I point out the fact that this is one of the species of spiders that will start off almost fossorial and then usually start become they start to become more arboreal as they put on size. However... I have a couple of my Reduncus still, one of them lives almost terrestrially. She webbed up, she dug behind the cork bark, webbed up the entire enclosure, and she sits there almost like a, you know, fossorial old world species. So these are ones that you want to, they, they don't necessarily follow the general care guides you would normally follow for that type of spider. So it's something, another one that I get all the time, Brachypelma amelia, Fonapelma uh, calcotis, Fonapelma samani. I can't tell you how many folks go, I got the species, I don't know what's wrong with it, it immediately buried itself. Yeah, these are ones that as slings will do some burrowing, and my B. amelia still has a burrow. My Afonapelma calcotis, my older one, Nikki, still uses her burrow. Granted, I think Nikki was probably wild caught, but she still uses her burrow. And my Afonapelma samani, again, suspected a wild caught spider, will still, it's right now, I'm looking back, I can't see her because she's buried in about nine inches of dirt. So these are the outliers, the ones that it kind of, you need to do a little extra research to find this out because if you listen to people that keep them, this should pop up. So with this in mind, and the whole spoon feeding thing, which I get and which is why I have, I think, an audience because people go out and they go, all right, I've had so many people tell me this is not necessarily a bad thing. I appreciate the confidence in my information, but they'll go, I picked up this new spider. You're the first person I went to. Now, I hope when they say first person, that may, means that they went out and looked at some other stuff as well, because there are other people out there keep them, keep them successfully. But I think for some folks, I'm like one-stop shopping. Tom's got it. Tom did a video on it. And that's why I try to be so specific in my videos and care guides, listing everything I can think of from slings, juveniles up to adulthood behaviors, any little tips and tricks I have so that folks that are using me as their primary or in some cases only source of information get all the information they need to raise their spider from a baby sling to adult. However, I've had many folks over the years that want to be spoon-fed a little bit more than I'm ready and prepared to do. And one of the big questions I've received is, why don't I make a video, podcast, or list of all the spiders available that need moist substrate? Or why don't I miss make a list of all the spiders that need dry substrate? Well, the how? <laughs> I think that would be my question. Of all the spiders out there... There are, I think, last I checked, there was over 900 species of tarantulas that I don't even think that number counted the ones that are labeled species because we have, they haven't been properly identified yet. There are, I, I, I think it could easily be said there are well over a thousand species of tarantulas out there. Now, how many of those are in the market? I would say a lot of them. Uh, quite a few of them. So hundreds of spiders. I'm not going to do that. Like, A, I haven't kept them all. And if anybody knows me, I, I, only talk, I try to only talk about things that I've kept and have experience with. I haven't kept anywhere near that amount. B, I'm not sure why I should do all the work going through each and every one of these species 
to make a list like that, it would be exhausting. So it's never going to happen. I can throw that out there. There will never be a point where I make a list of all the mo- I may do the ones of moisture dependent species that I've kept. That would be a fun one. But to do all the moisture dependent species, to do all the arid species, it's not going to happen. However, another thing I've been asked, and this one I think is a little more manageable, which is why we're covering it today. I did my ultimate sling guide. I did a video version of it. I have the text version, the article version. Uh, Tanya Fear Not Tarantulas gives it out to anybody that buys spiders, which I love. Like they, they can just hop right on and get it. I, it seems to be something that helps a lot of people out. However, in my sling guide, I mentioned that the majority of sling species out there need moist sub. I do believe I mentioned that there are some outliers, and that's where the research comes into play. Sure, I put out a sling guide to help answer everyone's questions about slings. The goal of that was to make it easier. I know that slings, keeping slings for the first time, spiderlings can be a particularly daunting task. People are afraid they're going to die. I can remember clear as day when I first started keeping keeping mine worried that I was going to do something that was going to harm or kill the spiders. So I was trying to alleviate some of that stress and be like, here are Here's every tip I can think of as far as keeping these guys from, you know, how to add the moisture to water dishes to how to get them out of their shipping vials, everything I could think of. Does that mean I covered 100%? No, you can't. And the problem is there are some outliers that don't quite follow that. So I put out the sling guide, but there was no way I would have been able to include individual care for each of those 900 plus species of tarantulas out there. That's where folks should be using my guide as a springboard before researching specific species care. In other words, don't watch that video. You're planning on getting spider A. I don't know. I'm not going to name one right now because I don't want to get my list away. You shouldn't be watching the video going, oh, there it is. Kept moist, done. You should be, after you watch my video, getting some of these tips, go, all right, now let me look up the specific care for this specific species and see if there are any caveats. That's how the research should work. This is how we keep slings, generally speaking. Now go off, find the spider you want, do your research. Now, for folks who want it super easy, I try to make it easy. Go over to my YouTube channel. Go click on videos. When all my videos come up, there's a little search bar. Search for the species you're looking for. If I've done something on it, it should appear in that search, and you can find the video in which I'm going to tell you if there are any caveats to keeping it. Otherwise, you need to hop on arachnoboards. That's another great place to go. Put the name of the spider care, see what comes up. You're going to have a lot of people with a lot of experience chiming in on how they successfully kept them. It shouldn't end. Your research shouldn't just end with that sling guide. And I think that's where some folks kind of get tripped up because I'll get, hey, I followed your sling guide to the T. I got this species and I've got it in moist substrate and it's climbing the side of the enclosure. It won't settle down. It's not eating well. Well, that's because that was one of the species that didn't require a lot of moisture. So what we're going to be looking at today is a list of the species that I have kept that I often see people keeping too moist. Perhaps they read my sling guide, looked at the general sling information, didn't do the extra research to realize that their species require slightly different care. Wherever they got their info from, you know, a lot of times I see this sometimes, and I just saw this recently. I, I popped into something, but Facebook came up, and I saw a note, and somebody was talking about a species that I know for a fact needs it on the drier side, and somebody popped in and said, all slings need to be kept moist. Well, no, you're not correct there, sir. Sorry about that. That's not necessarily the case. But that's what happens. You go online, you get people that regurgitate stuff that they've heard, and they don't really have the background knowledge to 
know any better. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to put together this list of ones that I often see people keeping too moist. These are ones that people will go, hey, Tom, what's going on with this thing? It's not settling in or it's climbing the enclosure. I will lean back on anecdotes from my own keeping where some of the some of them I kind of screwed up myself. And my hope is that when people keep these species now, they'll hear this podcast. Perhaps I'll do a video of it. And they'll recognize, hey, these guys are outliers. They don't necessarily follow that keep all your slings moist rule that we like to abide by. So the first species we're going to talk about on the list, I've raised up, I believe, 13, yeah, 13 of them. Monocentropus balfoury of the Socotra Island Blue Baboon. My first three I got, oh man, 11, 12 years ago, I think. And I had two males, a female. Female is still with me, still going strong. And at the time, I kept those. I got some good information that said they need to be kept on a drier side. So what I did was when I set them up, I moistened down half the substrate. And I watched what they did. And they tended to avoid the moist side of the substrate. They went and kind of burrowed and webbed around the dry side. Then when I got my M. Balfoury communal, I had slings that were about a half an inch to like just under a half an inch to a half an inch or so. I put 10 of them in an enclosure that was, I believe, 8 by 8 by 11. And originally on part of the substrate on one side, I put moist substrate in the bottom and then I kept the rest of it kind of dry and I put in a water dish. And I found that once again, I was waiting to see if they dig to that moist substrate. They didn't. So I ended up letting things dry out completely. And they did perfectly fine what I would do. And this is the trick with when we say they need to be kept on the drier side, it doesn't necessarily, we don't keep them bone dry all the time. Let's put, make that very, very clear. I don't want folks to get the wrong idea from this podcast and go out there and say, Tom says they don't need water at all. No, no, no. What I'm saying is we're specifically talking about the substrate, how moist we need to keep the substrate. So what I did with my Balfouri is once I realized they weren't really digging to that moist substrate, they were doing fine on the drier dirt up top, they were webbing around it. Then what I would do is when I would feed them, I would go in and I would sprinkle water all over their webbing. And some of them would go and drink from the webbing. They'd also have a water dish at all times. And sometimes I'd catch them drinking from that, but I did not keep the substrate moist. So keep in mind, if there is a species that I mentioned on this list that I say to keep it on the, the substrate on the drier side, it doesn't mean don't give them water. Water dish is a must. Sprinkling water on the, the webbing is a must. Gently misting above. I know there's a big thing out there. Don't mist them. And I do not believe misting is a proper way to keep a moisture dependent species or a species that needs some humidity in its enclosure because it dissipates, it evaporates too quickly. However, if you're feeding, I, I love this method myself. I have a little spray bottle. And when I'm feeding, I spritz it over top of the enclosure so it kind of falls down in like a nice mist. It moistens up the actual webbing and the substrate and the sides of the enclosure. Or if it's an arboreal species, misting the plants and they'll come and drink right off of that. So I do find I'm not one of those ones that's totally anti-spraying. I think the trick is to not spray the spider and not spray gusts of air in at it. And to not use it as your only way to keep things uh, hydrated. But I do think it does help with certain species. So with my M. Balfouri, what I would do, and when I, right now they have a water dish, and I have caught a couple of them drinking, not all that much. And then when I feed them, again, I will sprinkle some of the webbing. Sometimes they'll come out and drink, but that's about it. Now, is this a species that will do okay if you do keep it moist? From what I've seen from other people, it depends. Some of them, they put them on moist substrate. They go, I don't know what's going on with this thing. It's like not touching the substrate. It's webbing up the side of the wall and staying on the webbing. With other folks, they don't seem to care as much. So I don't think this is one you're necessarily going to harm if you keep it a little on the moist side. However, I've found that they don't require that extra moisture. So if you want to keep one 
and you want to moisten part of the substrate, I think that's okay, but you don't want to overdo it. And I think with the majority, like I'm looking over at my slings, the majority of my slings, I keep those bottom levels moist at all time, all times. With the Balfouri, if I sprinkle a little water, give it a little moist corner, again, miss, I have a little spray bottle, like a little nozzle spray bottle that I'll use and squirt some water on the webbing. Again, best time to do it at night before lights go out because they'll come out to investigate once the lights go off, and that's usually when they'll drink. But monocentropus balfrey is one that I see a lot of folks that freak out about. They're like, how moist do I got to keep them? Not moist at all. With adults, I keep them bone dry. Juveniles, bone dry. Make sure they have a water dish and then moisten down the webbing. Next one on the list this one should go without saying, but I have I just had somebody the other day say they got one and they think they might have kept it too moist because it refuses to touch the ground. Grandma Stola, Porteri, Rosea. It's Rosea now, but I like to separate the two of them because they do look different. This spider should be the poster child for I like it dry, however I like to drink. And what I mean by that is, for example, the queen who I had years ago when I first got her, I read that you're supposed to miss the substrate, supposed to moisten down the substrate. I realized fairly early on that she was avoiding that part of the substrate, so I stopped doing it, put a water dish in. I saw her drink almost, I, I would say, more than any other spider I've ever kept. Did she like the substrate moist? No. When I first rehoused her, I used cocoa fiber that had been rehydrated. Part of it had been rehydrated. Part of it was dry. And she avoided the side that was moist like the plague until it dried out. These are guys, even as slings, I do not keep them moist. What I do is I moisten down a corner of the substrate. I keep just a corner moist, let it dry out in between. I do when they're big enough. I have water dishes in there. This is one that you can go and gently mist the side of the enclosure and they can drink off of that. Another trick is to have a little sprig of sphagnum moss in there. And I, what I like about sphagnum moss, it's like a natural water dish for the really teeny tiny ones. So if you have that little sprig, a sprig of it, I'm not talking about covering the whole floor. I'm talking about in the corner. I usually put a little pinch of it in, and that's when I moisten down. I just take my little nozzled sprayer there, and I just moisten down that sphagnum moss and a little bit in the corner. And that way, if the spider wants some moisture, it can go over there and drink from that area. It'll hold on to the moisture for a little bit because of the sphagnum moss. But if it doesn't, it can stay the heck away from it. So for example... I have a little sling that I have. I keep it in one of those acrylic enclosures with the magnetic tops. And I went through, put a little sphagnum moss in, squirted it with my little thing, and I saw it go over at one point, and it was drinking from the sphagnum moss. So don't, if you moisten the substrate itself, like I've seen people, and unfortunately when they hear moist substrate, a lot of folks don't realize, usually what we're talking about is you keep those bottom layers moist, and they'll, they can bury or dig themselves down to the moisture level that they need. A lot of folks will just sit there and soak the top. And if you soak the top with a G. porteri or a Zaya sling, they will climb up. Now, earlier this week, I was going through some old pictures, and I think I've mentioned before that my little G. Rosea that I picked up almost 10 years ago that's not very big, I talked about the fact that she almost acted arboreal when I first got her. I had her in one of those AMAC enclosures, so I had like two inches of dirt in the bottom, substrate in the bottom. I had hot glued a cork bark, a piece of cork bark to the side of the enclosure, and she ended up like avoiding the substrate and lived almost arboreally on that piece of cork bark. I would actually sometimes like pre-kill prey, drop it on the cork bark, she'd eat from that. It was the cutest thing ever. Well, I found an old picture of her setup. And what do you know? In the old picture, you can see the bottom layers of substrate were definitely moist. The top maybe half an inch was dry. And I think she was probably avoiding that because of the humidity that was being given off as that moisture evaporated from the substrate. She was trying to get away 
away from it. So that was totally on me. I, I didn't realize this until very recently when I found this picture. I'm like, oh, that would explain why she acted like that. And then after it finally dried off, she would come down to the bottom a little more. Although I will say by that point, I think she just liked being an arboreal and being a little weirdo. But anyway, Grandma Stola Rosea. Grandma Soaparteri, the slings, again, you have to make sure they have access to the moisture. We're talking about not overdoing it with a moist substrate. So if you are keeping one and you have it in an enclosure, moisten down a corner, put that little sprig of sphagnum in there, but keep the rest of it pretty much bone dry. The next spider up, I've raised four to adulthood. They're kept almost, ident- I would say, identically to Grandma Stola Rosea. One of my favorite spiders of all time but one that definitely confounded me a bit when I first got my baby slings. We're talking about Grandma Stola Pulcherpies or the Chaco Golden Knee. I always try to put, when I do a husbandry video on uh, these guys, A, they will burrow as slings. B, they don't seem to appreciate the moisture. I kept my first two slings almost bone dry. Same thing I did with the Porteri and Rosea. I had them, both my original two were in the Jamie's enclosures, the Amac boxes. And I gave them like two inches of substrate. They had little pieces of cork bark to hide behind. They burrowed behind that. And I moistened down, originally moistened down the substrate. They avoided the substrate until it dried out. Then they started burrowing a bit. And with these guys, same thing I did with my Porteria and my Rosea. I would take a little bit. I had eyedroppers back then. And what I would do is take a little eyedropper full of water, make a little hole in one of the corners because the Amok boxes are square when you look down on them. And squirt some water down there so it was just a nice little moist corner. And my thing was, at first, I was like, all right, if I moisten this corner and the spider immediately goes for that moistened corner, then I know they want that moisture. What usually would happen is the spider would dig up and it would bury that corner with dry substrate. So that was an indication the spider didn't want any of that. However, I always made sure that I moistened down a little sprig of sphagnum moss in the corner. This was one of the species that when I would feed them, I gently missed the side of the enclosure, not the whole thing, not the whole substrate, gently missed the side of the enclosure by where the entrance of the burrow was so the spider could come out and drink off the side of the enclosure if it needed to. And I did catch them a couple times doing that. When they got a little bit older, I did drop in obviously a water dish. And this is one of the species that I've seen drinking because again, saying they don't want to be in or standing in Dry substrate is not saying that we're not going to provide them with moisture. I want to make that very, very clear. These are spiders that a lot of folks will do the old. They can get their moisture from their prey items. I get that, but they are also species that I have seen. Every one of these species I'm about to mention, I have seen drink before. So Gramostola pulgrapi is very popular in the hobby, very inexpensive, very easy to raise up, although they take forever to put on size in most cases. One of the ones you definitely, as a sling, want to keep them on the drier side. Now, the next one on this list causes fits. For, I, I, I would have hoped by this point in time, people would have gotten the memo on how to keep them. But unfortunately, they do not. There's still a lot of misinformation out there. There's still a lot of folks that are afraid to follow the information of the people that have kept them before and kept them well. And I think when we did our list of species that the slings give people a hard time, this was easily number one on the list for the ones that people have experienced the most deaths with, mysterious deaths. I'm talking about the Caribbean Versicolor or Antilles Pink Toe Tarantula. Super popular in the hobby, super sought after. They make it to a lot of beginner species lists. I think they probably shouldn't be on beginner species lists because they tend to give beginners fits. And the reason why is folks read that they come from humid places. They read from folks who probably have never kept the spider in their life. This one really still irritates me because I found something the other day 
uh, where somebody had posted up how to keep them and talked about how they need it humid. They come from a humid place. You need to keep the substrate moist. You need to miss them, miss them constantly. All that's going to give you is a dead spider. These guys are ones that need a great ventilation, even as slings. You need some good ventilation there. This is one of the few species that if I keep them in one of the dram vials, I put holes around the outside of the dram vial so there's some air flow through because the dram vials, as we talked about before, can get rather stuffy. They're great if you have a species that requires high moisture levels. If you have a spider that needs lower moisture levels and less humidity, then you want to make sure they have that cross ventilation. I think that's why mine did so well. Now, my first uh, Caribbean Versica, I'm, I'm going to share this story again. I'm sure people have heard it, me tell it before, but I had done a bunch of research. I got in touch with somebody who had kept and bred them before, and he said, listen, ignore what they're saying out there about the humidity. I keep mine dry with a water dish. I occasionally missed the webbing like twice a week, and I make sure there's a lot of airflow. And I remember setting my little blue sling up in one of the Jamie's arboreal enclosures that has that, what seemed to me like a big vent in the front that would not allow moisture to stay in there. I kept the substrate almost completely dry. I would basically moisten down a corner of it. And like he said, I would come through, use an eyedropper, not a mist or an eyedropper, but a mist, a mist would work too. And when I would feed her, I would use the eyedropper to squirt some water up around her webbing, the opening to her webbing around the sides. And she could drink from that because these are guys that they've been seeing the wild drinking from plant leaves at collecting dew, things of that nature. But I kept her almost bone dry and despite the fact that the entire time I'm like, I'm going to kill this spider, I'm going to kill this spider, I'm going to kill this spider. It was in the back of my mind because everything I was reading said they had to be kept moist. She grew up, became a big, beautiful adult female, one of the first spiders that I paired and successfully bred. And I have her daughter now that I kept the exact same way. Almost bone dry, I would moisten down a little corner of the substrate. And then when I fed her, I would just mist a little bit so she could drink from the webbing. They don't need a lot of water, but then it would dry up and not keep things inside too humid. And again, that good cross ventilation. So this is one that I have to say, when I started doing the Thomas Big Spider stuff a decade ago, I thought we would have been to a point by now where people got it. And we don't. We still have folks. I just received... And if you're listening, I'm not judging you. Please know that. I, that's why I'm not using names. I'm not trying to call anybody out. But I had somebody that said, I, I followed your care videos. I don't understand. The spider's webbed up top. It's not eating. It doesn't seem to be doing well. It's lethargic. And they sent me a picture of the enclosure. And not only was the substrate obviously quite moist, but they had spread, there was like condensation in the side of the enclosure. I'm like, yeah, you've got it in the death trap. And oh, you didn't listen to what I said because I've been saying for years, keep them dry. So that's when the species spread the word again. Are we talking about not providing them with moisture? I know folks are going to be thinking, why does he keep saying this? Because you'd be amazed at what people will tune out when they're listening to something and they'll get the wrong message. They'll go, Tom said these need to be kept dry. I've seen people misquote me so many times. It drives me nuts. No, I'm saying keep the substrate mostly dry. Again, if you want to do the little sphagnum moss trick, have a little sprig of sphagnum moss over there. They will come down to hunt. They will come down to drink from that if they need it, but keep it mostly dry. And then when you feed them, Add a little water dishes are great, especially if you can fit a water dish in there. And especially older, I like to put a nice big water dish in and they keep the rest of it dry. I spray down like with my female now, fed her yesterday. I went in, 
I use my little squirt bottle to squirt stuff all over the leaves in there, all over her cork bark, all over the sides of the enclosure, filled the water dish. That way she can drink. I've seen her drink from the water dish. I've seen her drink from the sides of the enclosure and I dropped her items in and I walked away. So don't, don't follow the stuff out there that's saying the Caribbean Diversicolor needs to be kept super moist. That is not, the problem is it's one of the ones where we look at their natural habitat and it's lost in translation. We forget the fact that, yes, they're from humid environments, but they also have nice breezes that are moving that air. So airflow is crucial with these guys. Keep things on the drier side. Next up, we have one of my favorite all-time, another one of my favorite all-time tarantulas and one of my favorite old worlds, period, the Tarina Kylis Miranus or the OBT. I love these guys, but I do get a lot of folks who will send me pictures of their slings in these nice, moist dram vials. Now, the OBTs, let's just throw this out there. They are about the most bulletproof spider in terms of care that you could keep. They are very, very tough spiders. However, they, they because they are so easily kept, because they don't need moisture at all in their enclosure, at least in their substrate, uh, they will survive if you keep them overly moist. I've seen people that have raised them say, oh, I raised mine up and I kept it moist, but they don't need it and they don't particularly care for it. And I've seen ones I have right now, I believe eight, and I will always go through and sprinkle when they were babies. I would I do a little, the same thing that I've said with all the rest of them. Moisten down a corner of the substrate. They don't generally go anywhere near it. They don't seem to be attracted to it. They're not looking for it. But this is another species that can be kept dry as a sling, as long as you provide a little moisture, sprinkle a little water. They usually will do a, a great deal of webbing, so you sprinkle some water on the webbing. But again, this was another one I got originally kept in one of the Jamie's enclosures. It has the little mesh vent on the top that really allows a lot of evaporation. And this thing was kept almost bone dry its entire life and did perfectly fine. Grew up to a big, beautiful female. I have a bunch now that I'm raising that I keep bone dry substrate. They web up. And what I do is when I feed them, I go through, I have my little spray bottle. And this is going to sound very familiar because I've just said it a million times. I go through the spray bottle and I moisten the webbing. And you can also miss the webbing. And what they will do is if they want to drink, they will come out and they will drink right from the webbing. But this is another spider that, again, I, I, I think I've shared the story before that when I was first doing my research, I found a list of top beginner tarantulas and the guy had included the OBT as number five. And his reasoning for it was the fact that they were almost unkillable. So that says a lot. Now, now once again, do not mistake the fact that they don't require moist substrate with not needing moisture. I have a bunch of these that are in deli cups and somehow the last time I fed them, I think one of them I missed. So next time I went to feed it, I went in, I took the top off the thing and realized, oh my God, I think I missed this one last time. And I squirted a little water on the top of the webbing. That thing came right up and guzzled. I didn't even feed her for like a half hour because she was up there drinking. So that was a big bad on me because that's a spider that they're coming up and drinking immediately like that. It means they were quite thirsty. They needed some moisture. So that just goes to show you if I wasn't supplying them with moisture, once every week or so when I go and feed them, then that would be a problem. So make sure with the OBTs, the easiest thing, water dishes are great, but they'll often web them up. With my old girl, I would go, she would web up. She had this whole area that she had webbed up and I would go and again, mist the webbing, spray some water on the webbing. She had a water dish. This was one of the ones when I did my video with, with Petco from Dark Den. I think I included an image of her drinking because that's one of the spiders people will go. They don't need water because they get all their, their water from their prey. I really wanted to show what most considered to be the poster child for an arid species of tarantula just guzzling water. It's the same reason I included the queen, a G. porteri. Again, if you're going to take one from each side, 
one from New Worlds, one from Old Worlds, and go, here are two spiders that really want it bone dry. Those are the two you'd pick, and there they both were drinking. And that's one thing I've noticed is that the ones that like it dry are often the ones I catch drinking the most often. So that's something to really keep in mind. That's why it bothers me sometimes when people do the whole, well, they'll get their moisture from their prey. Are they survivalists? Yes, they haven't lived millions of years for being fragile. However, that doesn't mean, again, keeping them alive is not the same as allowing them to thrive. And I think if we're allowing them to thrive, we keep the substrate dry. We make sure they have access to water through either their webbing or water dishes or whatever means you use. So Tarina Kylis Muranus, definitely one of the arid species, definitely one that I would keep mostly dry from the moment you pick it up all the way through to adulthood. And finally, we have the number one spider on this list is, again, I want to say it's not necessarily in any particular order. However, it just so happened in the last two weeks, I received two emails from folks that were keeping slings and they were not keeping them. I don't like to say they were not keeping them correctly, but they were not keeping them the way I would encourage people to keep them. Now, in both cases, the spider was not eating, it was lethargic, it was scrunched up, it was up on its webbing, and in both cases, the, the people showed me their enclosures, they were way too, one of them was drenched, I don't know where, this wasn't even good care for slings that needed moisture, it was way too moist, condensation, you could tell the substrate was drenched, the other one was definitely too moist. I am talking about everybody's favorite spider. Well, not everybody's, but a lot of people love these guys. Chromatopelma, Cayenne pubicens, or the Green Bottle Blue or GBB. Uh, again, I've shared the story many, many times. When I first got into tarantulas, this was one where when you looked up, and this is one that I think we've corrected it. I don't see a lot of this information out there anymore, so I want to make that very, very clear. Not like the Caribbean Versicolor where people are still saying this. Back when these guys first came out, they came from a region that was considered to be rather humid. So folks were getting the slings. They were putting them in humid, moist enclosures with moist substrate, and they were dropping like flies. There was a lot of info out there of people saying they were very tough to keep. And then folks started keeping them on the dry side, and they were thriving. The Chromatopelma cyanopubicens is one of the outlier slings in that they really need it dry from day one. My first one, I actually bought one and then picked up another one like a month later. We originally called them GBB1 and GBB2, who sadly both had passed away. They were over 10 years old, old females. But anyway, I kept them again in the AMAC box enclosures with the vent. I kept the substrate bone dry. I gave them room to web and anchor to. They both started webbing right away. And then what I would do is when I would feed them, I would drop in a prey at them, watch them hunt, and then go ahead and either mist slightly over the webbing or use my little eyedropper to put water on the webbing. And that's all I did until they grew up into big, robust females. I am raising another one now. Same thing. I have this one in one of those. It's around 16 ounces. It's a acrylic cylinder. And she is doing, or I hope she, maybe he is doing just fine. And what I do is I fed her yesterday, dropped in a nice big juicy cricket for her. She grabbed the cricket. I went ahead and just gently used my little spray, but my little squirt bottle with the nozzle to just squirt streams of water on her webbing. So it kind of pulled it up at the top and left that for her. That sat there for like a couple hours afterwards. So if she wanted a drink, she could get a drink and she's been doing just fine. But this is one of the species that some of the ones we mentioned here will survive being kept too moist. They're just not going to be comfortable. This is one of the ones I would not keep too moist. I had about two years ago, somebody approached me and said they had two of them that died mysteriously. They sent me photos of the setups and they were death traps because they were kept moist substrate. They were spraying down. I think what happened was they had the moist substrate 
the spider wasn't looking good. They went, oh God, it must be dehydrated. So they started spraying in there, which only made things worse. It only exacerbated the issue that things inside that enclosure were too dank and they ended up losing two slings that way. So Chromatopelma, Cayenneopubicins, if you pick them up, do not overdo it. If you want to give them a moist corner, that's fine, but it should be a very small percentage of the actual enclosure, and they don't really need it. The, I would encourage you to, and this is one of the reasons I, when I had my feeding schedule, I still, with my slings, I have a feeding schedule where I feed them at least twice a week, or in the very least, check on them twice a week. They need a little more monitoring at that size. And so that's something that allows you to go in and know that at least twice a week, they have access to fresh water. They're fed. It allows you to check on them. This is why I encourage folks, like, don't overdo it with the slings. I've had folks that'll say, oh, I, I went from having one to 40 slings, and now I'm freaking out. I'm losing them right and left. I'm having a hard time keeping track of who I fed, or I'm, I'm having a hard time keeping up with it. You don't want to do that. You want to be able, your larger spiders, most of the adult spiders I have, as long as they have a water dish in there, are going to be just fine if I didn't check on them for a month. They're not, they're going to be perfectly fine. Slings, a little more fragile. You want to spend a little more time making sure the care is correct. So that's my list of the ones that I see quite a bit that folks contact me. They're struggling with the carrot because they're keeping things a bit too moist. So I want to throw that one out there. And they're also, if you notice, all very, very popular species. So again, I'm not going to... Are there others? I'm sure there are. As I'm looking around, I'm noticing a couple of different spiders that I kept more on the dry side. But these are the ones, Monocentropus balfouri, the Gramostola porteri or rosea, Gramostola polcropes, Carabina versicolor, Terinochylus marinus, and Chromatopelma cayenopubicens, all ones that I've raised up from teeny tiny slings, most of them multiple times, uh, two different occasions with C. cayenopubicens, three different occasions with P. murinus, Two different occasions and bred them with Carabina Versico. So I bred them. They had babies in those conditions. Four different occasions with G. Polkropes. Two different occasions with Gramostola Portera Rosea. And two different occasions with Monocentropus Balfrey. So saying it wasn't a fluke the first time. I did the same thing the second time. And might I point out, in some of these cases, two different locations. My old house where things were a little bit cooler. My new house where things were a little bit warmer. That went great. And again, to drive it home, because unfortunately, this is what I do with my teaching too, is you try to keep slipping things in there. So hopefully by the end of the lesson, a lot of this stuff has sank in. We're not talking about keeping the them bone dry as in we don't provide them with water. Water dishes, when you can fit them in, incredibly important. The misting, the webbing, again, don't sit there and blast them with air. Sit, take the mister, mist over top of the enclosure, allow it to just kind of like when people put perfume on, when they squirt the perfume in the air and they walk through it as not to overdo it. Same kind of situation, get some of that on the webbing. The good news is if you overdo it, put a little too much water in there, it's going to evaporate so quickly, it's not going to make a difference. Dribbling it, using pipettes, using syringes, using eyedroppers. I have the little bottle, it's like the one I used to have when I was a kid for football, the little it's a water bottle that you squeeze and it's got the sharp little nozzle on it that you can direct the stream of water wherever you want. Those work great. Have those on hand. Check on your slings a couple times a week. Make sure, you know, will they be fine if you leave them alone? Yes. Let's call it as it is. If you leave them alone for a while, they're not going to probably succumb to dehydration or everything, depending on the temperatures. If it gets super warm, then you got to be a little more careful. If it's a winter time and it's super dry, definitely be more diligent. I think the winter time is almost more dangerous because with the heaters running, it really dries out the air. But be a little more diligent, but don't overdo it with the moisture with these species. In some cases, don't do anything with the moisture in these species as far as moist substrate is concerned. 
So that will do it for this one. As always, you can find me on YouTube. Probably no video today. I've been doing the every other week for the, the videos, and then I will have probably tomorrow or Tuesday, I'm going to put up a video I took of my Heteropoda venatoria, one of my huntsman spiders that I've been trying to get footage of, but they're so fast I have to be very careful. But I got some footage of one of them hunting and eating, which is kind of cool. And I know folks are constantly asking me to share information about how I keep my other spiders. So we'll probably do a quick one on that. And these guys are little cool little spiders to raise up, especially for folks looking to raise up their first huntsman spiders. You can find me on Instagram, Tom's Big Spiders, the podcast, TomSpeakSpiders.com. Uh, Spotify allows you to leave comments. And thank you, everybody, that leaves comments on Spotify because that's apparently a pretty big market. And I'm, I realize somebody's like, man, that's that's awesome. At least my friends are impressed by it that it's actually on Spotify. And I love getting engagement there. The only problem is it won't let me respond to people. So that'll do it for this one, guys. Uh, as always, I can't believe my voice held out. I only had to stop like 30 times to cough, but can't believe it held out. Hope you have a great day. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll catch you all next time.